I think that Paul is saying that when I was baptized in water, I was plunged in water, but I was also plunged in God's spirit. And all that means is I have access to God 24-7. What if we believed that every Christian has been totally immersed into the living, active, powerful, Holy Spirit of God? with access to his power, to his presence, to his fruit, it would change a person, wouldn't it? It really does. You see, God's wanted to show his glory ever since he met Moses on the Holy Mount. And for Christians, the veil is removed. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. To yourselves a favor, on the way home tonight, look up, look up a song from The Lion King 2 called He Lives in You. When he gets to the chorus, the crescendo of it, the words are, he lives in you, he lives in me, he watches over everything we see into the water, into the truth, in your reflection, he lives in you. That song's been running through my mind as I've been writing this sermon. We just did a series looking at the fruit that the Spirit gives. And then as a sort of a transition piece, we looked at our need to be broken down before God can build us up in the fruit that the Spirit gives. But tonight I want to begin a short series on what it means to believe in and connect to, to have access to the presence and power and producing of God's Holy Spirit. And to show you I'm not just picking these out of thin air, I want you to look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We've been there for a couple of weeks now. And I want you to see presence, power, and production. I want to read in an unfamiliar translation. Here's J.B. Phillips' translation. The Spirit, however, produces in human life fruits such as these. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, generosity, fidelity, tolerance, and self-control. And no law exists against any of them. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and lusted for. And if our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. Did you see all three Ps? Right there at the end is presence. Our lives are centered in the Spirit, so they should be guided by the Spirit. Just before that, we see power. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and longed for. And right at the beginning, we see producer. The spirit produces in human life fruits such as these. There's a fourth P, very important, and that is person. That the spirit isn't just some impersonal force. The spirit is a person. But we'll, we'll get to that. The prophets of old said that one day God was going to put his spirit in his people He was going to overwhelm them with his spirit. There would be no one who belongs to him that wouldn't have access to him at all times. And he said, one day I will pour out my spirit. And you remember the language on all flesh. It's going to give them a new identity. It's going to produce a new way of thinking and living and being and knowing. We're talking about a a total transformation. And it sounds so amazing. I mean, I want this. So who has access to this? Are you ready for some great news? 
every believer you know. Tonight, I want to focus on the word presence. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3 and verse 15. We're going to do an old-fashioned Bible study and just go from passage to passage and let the Bible link together the beauty of God's presence in the Spirit. Luke 3 and verse 15, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I am is coming, and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, that little phrase at the end can be translated a number of ways. Some versions say, with the Holy Spirit. Others say, in the Holy Spirit. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Remember that John the Baptist says, one of the most important ways you're going to tell the difference between me and Jesus, between what I offer and what he offers, is that I'm doing water stuff only. I baptize with water, I baptize in water, but you'll recognize Jesus because he plunges people with or in God's holy presence or power or productive spirit. Now, the term Holy Spirit, those two words together, only appears a few times in the Old Testament. It's used one time in the entire book of Psalms. Isn't that surprising? It's only used two times in all of Isaiah. But the concept of God's spirit as the presence of God is all through Scripture. You didn't take a step without God's leading and presence. There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and that meant God is there to lead you and to guide you. When the Ark of the Covenant was taken into battle, it meant God's with you to fight your battles for you. And on the top of the ark were angels' wings that touched. And right where they touched, that was called the mercy seat. That's where God sat and dwelled. And so you put that in the holy of holies. And all these verbs, given, received, poured out, plunged, are connected with these nouns. Wind, breath, power, glory, presence, and spirit. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses wants God's presence. He says, don't leave us. Show us your face. Show us your glory. Go with us. But God's presence had to be muted, mediated. Moses had to put a veil over his face. And God only showed his hind parts. It's a partial presence to a partial people, but still so powerful that Moses' face shone like the sun. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet says that the spirit is going to rest on the Messiah. You see that in Isaiah 11. You see it in Isaiah 32. And you see it in Isaiah 61. In those three places, Isaiah says, one day, God's going to put his spirit on the Messiah. But not just that, the spirit's going to fall upon a group of people. God's people. And even though God's people had experienced the presence of God partially when they carried the Ark of the Covenant, when they were following the cloud, when God showed his hind parts on the mountain, 
One day, God's presence was going to be there in a more permanent, in a fuller sense. When you get to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel concentrates on the Spirit in two chapters, Ezekiel 36 and 37. In those chapters, Ezekiel reflects on the wilderness wanderings and how Moses was able to catch a glimpse of the glory of God when Israel was able to partially enjoy God's presence. And Moses begs for God's presence to stay with the people. It's the only thing that separated Israel from all the nations around them. And Ezekiel agrees. He says, you can't be God's people if you don't have his presence among you. That's Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 28. So God says, all right, I will put my spirit in you. This is why John the Baptist told his audience to be patient. Without a connection to, a giving, a receiving, a plunging in God's Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as the regrouped people of God. God promises that he's going to return and bring his presence with him. And to make this very clear, in Ezekiel 37, there's a story you will not forget once you see it. You have a vision of wind or breath that fills a valley of dry, dead bones. And that wind or breath makes all the muscles come back onto the dead, dry bones and the bodies resurrect out of the grave. It's an image of God's spirit, God's wind, God's breath, filling his people and bringing them back. In the book of Joel, a similar story is told. Things are looking dreary. And in Joel chapter 2, God promises, I will pour out my spirit. So when you get to Acts 2, Peter quotes this passage and says, God's not doing something totally new. He's keeping his promise to restore and refill his people. And if you remember back in Genesis 12, God said, I want a people. And I want all the nations of the earth to be blessed by my people. And you see that coming to fruition in Acts. So the Gospel of Luke, what we just were reading, makes clear that the Holy Spirit was not a new idea. The first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke show characters that match the description given in Joel. Joel says, young men and young women, old men and old women are going to be witnesses that I'm doing this. And what do you have in the first two chapters of Luke? You have young men and young women, old men and old women, all of them having the Holy Spirit poured out on them. And if you knew your Old Testament and you were reading Luke for the first time, you'd ask, why are all these unknown people filled with the Holy Spirit all of a sudden? The answer is, we're at the threshold of the coming of the Messiah and all the promises that come with it. Now, all of this background gets us ready for John's language. What he basically says is, if I'm not doing Holy Spirit stuff, then I can't be the Messiah. We should listen carefully. To try to produce a form of Christianity without God's Spirit would not make any sense. The age-old promise is that followers of Jesus will have God's Spirit. And that brings us back to this little narrative in Luke 3. I baptize with water, says John, but the Messiah, he's going to baptize you or 
plunge you or immerse you in or with or by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of views about what you do with this verse, all legitimate. One view is that he's talking specifically to the apostles about some limited, miraculous gift of some kind. And I see that as a possibility. But I want you to compare this language with the predictions of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Joel that longed for all of God's people having God's spirit all the time, full of the spirit, led by the spirit, living and moving in the spirit, and then compare it with the later New Testament texts that are written to a wider audience. Look with me. Look in the first two chapters of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus calls the coming of God's spirit the promise of the Father. Now that's interesting because that seems to connect all those promises of Ezekiel and Joel, but it also comes up later in Acts 2 when Peter says this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off. The Spirit is the presence of God. The presence of the Spirit means the presence of God. And before we can talk about the power of God or the producing of God's fruit, we need to secure in our minds that God is ever present with us. And his spirit is that security. But we still have to make sense of this language of plunging or immersing, connecting with the spirit. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Paul is talking to the whole church at Corinth. Listen to the language he uses. For in or with or by the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, you've probably already guessed that there's some translation issues here. This phrase, just like in Luke 3, can mean in, with, or by. But however you translate it, it's the same phrase. Paul seems to be telling us what John was telling his people. Do you know what Jesus brings with him to all of Jesus' people? God's presence, God's power, God's productive spirit. And every one of us who was plunged into the water in obedience to Jesus was not only given God's Holy Spirit like a piece of pie that you hold in your hand, but we were plunged in God's spirit and made to drink of that spirit. And I can't help but notice that there's some parallels here. First of all, this verse reminds us how total transformation covers both the inward and the outward. All believers take the Lord's Supper, reminding us that we fill our inward self with Jesus' blood, and all believers have been immersed in the water that washes our outward selves. The supper goes inside you, baptism outside you. In the same way, the Spirit of Christ now has access to every part of you, and you have access to every part of him. Now, this language of plunging or baptizing, connecting water and spirit, is all through the New Testament. And it's not a coincidence that when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's told you got to be born again, Jesus specifically says of water and spirit. It's not a coincidence that when Paul writes to Titus, he says, God in his mercy saved us, not 
by any works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of God's Holy Spirit. It's not a coincidence that in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ lives in you, then God will raise your bodies from the dead by the Spirit that lives in you. And if you read on through the verse 14, it becomes clear that it's impossible to do Christianity without a plunging in God's Holy Spirit. To be baptized in or with or by the Spirit of God simply means to have the presence of God. To have the presence of God is to belong to the people of God. And to belong to the people of God is to be a saved follower of Jesus Christ. I told you once before, I like to redeem biblical language. I think that Paul is saying that when I was baptized in water, I was plunged in water, but I was also plunged in God's spirit. And all that means is I have access to God 24-7. What if we believed that every Christian has been totally immersed into the living, active, powerful, Holy Spirit of God with access to his power, to his presence, to his fruit, it would change a person, wouldn't it? It really does. You see, God's wanted to show his glory ever since he met Moses on the Holy Mount. And for Christians, the veil is removed. And isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Listen to this as we close. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since since only in Christ it is set aside. Indeed, to this very day, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.